0: Hello everyone, good evening. My name is Elias Bukrami. Uh, I would like to welcome everybody on our autumn uh, seminar for the Society of Algerian Studies with the Middle East Center at the London School of Economics and Political Science. It's uh, a pleasure today to talk about uh, a topic of interest and the current topic, the sport and how sport is shaping societies, and especially in the Maghreb area as a background. At the moment, there's no better time to talk about sport and how sport is is shifting the the world uh, in in a period of time where the World Cup is going on. So it's my pleasure to welcome three speakers, uh, three experts that are, uh, well known in their areas, uh, the first one is an academic, uh, our colleague, Dr. Mahfoud Amara, an associate professor in sport and social science and management at the University of Qatar. Amara has published uh, on sport, business, culture, politics, society, and also in, mainly in the Arab region. In 2012, he published a book with Palgrave Macmillan titled Sport, Politics and society in the Arab world he also edited the Olympic movement in, in the Middle East and North African regions with Amara edited Alberto Testa's sport in Islam and the Muslim communities and also sports in African world with John Norwright uh, welcome to Mahfoud uh, uh, from Qatar from the area of, of of the World Cup and sports specialist it's uh, an immense privilege to welcome the only uh, woman of, of the panel and uh, our guest of honor, uh, Aziza Baha. Uh, Aziza yeah. is a senior uh, TV uh, executive editor with France 24, France Van She has worked as a journalist in Morocco and France for the last 25 years. Uh, Aziza is also a founder of Tajaspo media platform dedicated to women's sport in the Middle East and North African regions. She has also directed the documentary, At Last, Leonesses, and here from the role on Morocco women's national football team. Uh, Aziza won the Fatima Binta Mubarak Best Sports Media Award in 2022 for journalists who have been actively working to promote women and sport achievements. Welcome to Aziza, we look forward to hear you. Last but not least, it's our pleasure to welcome Maher Mizahi, uh, a young independent football journalist uh, that uh, has been uh, working between Marseille and Algiers. He has been examining the relationship between sport, precisely football and politics. His research interests includes North African politics and the history of colonial sport in Africa. He covers North African football extensively and his work has been published by the BBC, The Guardian, Eurosport and Al Jazeera English. He covered the 2017 African Cup in Gabon and the 2019 African Cup in Egypt and the 2021 African Cup in Cameroon. He is an active social media uh, influencer on Twitter and and Facebook as well as on YouTube. He presents on football, sports and social issues. So without further ado, I will give the floor to Professor Mahfoud Amara to talk about sport and societies in Maghreb and in the Middle East regions. And then we will move to Aziza. Aziza, she's uh, a specialist of uh, women and she she will be talking about how sport shaped uh, the inclusiveness of the female uh gender in in societies and and their role in 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 the edifice of modern world and finally we will end up with uh maher uh, who will be focusing mainly on football and how football is is changing the world mahfoud you have the
1: floor uh thank you for the introduction and thank you for having me on this panel uh, very timely as you just you know, explain it. You know, uh, it's happening while the world is the, the eyes of the world are on Qatar being the first Arab country and Muslim country to host uh, uh, such mega sports events, which is the FIFA World Cup. So it's a historic moment for the region, and this brings uh, a number of uh, issues and number of aspects, you know, to to study from from outside the region, but also from inside the region. And this is what I have been trying to do in my during my I would say uh, uh, my work uh, is bringing, trying to bridge between the inside, the insider perspective, and the, the outsider uh, perspective. You know, I started working on the port in the North Africa and Maghreb and the Middle East, and North, you know, Middle East and back in 2000 when I was doing my PhD. Back then, my work was on the professionalization of. Uh, of uh, sports and football in Algeria. And at that time, I found really few, there were only few uh, references um, on sports, um, you know, in in the region, uh, either published by scholars from the region or published by international academics, you know. And that's what struck me, you know, why there are not many uh, studies uh, about uh, the region. Uh, There were only few. So my endeavor since then was to try to highlight you know some of the really the, the dynamic that is uh you know in the region and how sport can help us to uh, as a land you know that we can use to make sense of those uh of this uh, dynamic uh when it comes to the region to the maghreb it's really interesting you know first uh, what we mean by the maghreb uh it's already there's a huge debate about that what is the maghreb what is not the maghreb should the Maghreb be, you know, uh, uh, studied within um, Middle East and North Africa, or should it be studied in relation to what we call Maghriban study, or maybe Francophone studies, and so, you know, and this is the, the term, the terminology itself is interesting. And when we talk about the Maghreb, unfortunately, we tend to talk mainly about Tunisia, Algeria, and Morocco, and but we don't know much what is happening, let's say, in Libya. Uh, there haven't many uh, studies about, uh, let's say, sport history Libya or Mauritania or, yeah. So I think that most of the focus was were, were on those uh, three countries. Uh, so we are, you know, uh, not very close to Middle East. You know, we are in, you know, not that close to the Middle East. We are not that close to Europe, and we are not that close to Africa. So we are located in really an interesting uh, um you know uh, position in geographical location um which and brings a number of uh, questions about uh, you know um uh, sports and how we position sports you know in in this region uh particularly in relation to uh let's say uh, the question of sport migration uh either from uh, from the Maghreb to Europe or from vice versa from Europe uh you know to the Maghreb you know whether in relation to players you know or coaches or uh, practitioners I and mean, administrators how they are moving between those two regions uh, or different regions you know and uh how what, what kind of uh, how this geographical location is bringing a, a new questioning around uh, the notion of uh, sport mobility and sport migration the other uh, aspect is on uh, research and uh, particularly identity how we, uh, define identity and politics of identity and how we want, as Maghriban countries, we want to be seen and want to be known in relation to sports. And here, there are also differences within the three countries that we have been talking about, Tunisia, Morocco, Algeria. Those countries had different trajectory, uh, you know, from, uh, let's say, from colonial uh, past in the colonial history to post-colonialism and how those countries, they, uh you know, uh, engage with international uh, sports and what kind of ideology they wanted to promote and they have been trying to promote. So there are, you know, kind of uh, really interesting uh, uh, here areas to to study in terms of how to compare between the engagement of Morocco uh, being a, a kingdom, let's say, with Tunisia, with a population of 10 million and Algeria with uh, uh, 35 or 40 million now, uh, but with different uh, political system, different economic system, you know, um, and this brings another dimension, which is about politics and sports politics in the capital P uh, in terms of how, what positions countries in the mega took with regards to their engagement with different questions around, you know, the, you know, the around sports and international politics, you know, in relation to using sports or to uh, uh, promote ideologies such as the uh, uh, Pan Africanism or ideology to do with third worldism or ideology to do uh, with the questions in relation to the, uh, for example, uh, the, the other questions that are uh, re- re- relevant to the, you know, to the Middle East and North Africa, uh, particularly the Palestinian question. Uh, or uh, the boycotts, let's say, of the of the Olympics or other international uh, sports events, you know, to uh, protest against uh, apartheid. So, really, this brings really interesting uh, kind of comparative uh, lenses, you know, looking at how those three countries engage with those international issues. And when you talk about politics, it's also about small P, you know, politics with small P, how those states in those regions engage with sport in terms of finance, in terms of how their prior, how what what are the priorities with regards to the financing of sports, the funding of sports, uh, the modernization of sports and the kind of the um you know promotion of sport in both in urban context, but also in the rural context and you know and uh, b- between the northern parts of the countries and with the southern parts uh, of the countries uh uh also with regards to the the other dimension that is worth highlighting is uh, and it's important you know to to study it uh is the notion of uh, value system and cultural identity and, and culture uh the, the question of the the berber uh the berber uh you know identity You the muscle and the people who are living in, in the maghreb many of them are of you know uh Arab Muslim but also they want to, uh, they are very really keen in terms of promoting their Berber uh, identity, uh, there is the, the question of modernization versus tradition and how countries in the Maghreb have dealt with this question in relation to sports uh, and uh, how sports became like a terrain, a space for maybe uh, uh, conflicting sometimes uh, views and values about, you know, uh, modernization uh, and maybe, uh, maybe this will uh, to to give the, 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 you know, the floor to Aziza, uh, particularly on the question of the, the body and uh, the motion of the, uh, of the body and woman position uh, in sport and woman condition uh, in uh, maghrebian societies. And I will give the floor to Aziza.
2: Thank you. Thank you, Mahfoud. Um, there are a lot of things, actually, that you just said, and I'm, I'm just going to give my timer to be sure that I will respect the time. But um, um, you spoke about lack of studies and lack of data. Uh, so you can only imagine when we talk about women's sport, what's going on. We've been like when I'm a journalist for 25 years now, and uh, I founded in 2021 on the 8th of March. Exactly. Uh, Teja Sport the first one was to highlight one which is the main origin so we were covering the middle east but also north africa and also promoted sport among women and uh when we were talking with professional uh, sports women we discovered actually that we have a big lack of data and sometimes we're talking for example if we speak about football as we're now in all this uh Uh, World Cup uh, world, uh, talking about women in football, but a lot of them even professionals didn't know, for example, uh, how many goals they scored in their career. For example, those data are something minimum that every man has, but for women, no. When I was asking them, like to feature them uh, on our magazine and, and in our uh, media, asking them for pictures, for example, uh, for the major steps on their career, they didn't have anything, and the clubs didn't have anything. Federation didn't has, uh, didn't have anything, etc., etc. So we. We have that problem of lack of studies and lack of data and that's one of the things that uh made me think about creating and and doing actually mixing two things that are part of my life, which is one advocating for women's rights and the second one is journalism. So I wanted to mix two and and create tasha sport. The second thing is we've been talking about mentalities, for example, and this is something uh, when mentalities are hard to change, uh, it's worse for women of course. And if I talk about women's sports, even if I don't really like uh, the term women's sports, because for me, uh, sports doesn't is not gendered, and sport is sports, though. It can be practiced by women or, or by men. But uh, there is a study that was really interesting done by the UNESCO, I think, a few years ago. And it was talking about the fact that uh, excluding the major events, sport events, Olympics, World Cup, etc., 40% of sports participants are women in the world. But um nevertheless, it's only 4% of media coverage that is dedicated to women's sports. Uh so there is a big, big problem. And even in this limited coverage, women are mainly objectified or demeaned even not harassed uh, now online of course but also really in real life so I think and I do believe that sports can change things because sports make the first thing is the person practicing it or or playing in a sports, whatever. They're changing their own minds toward their own bodies. And this is something important just to be sure that my body is only mine and nobody else's. And I should choose whatever I do with it and not the society, not the other people. So if we trigger this positive identity in a lot of women, that will start changing. And this is exactly what I noticed when I went to cover the WAFCON, the Women African Cup nations 2022 that was in Morocco. Um, For the first time we had 12 teams instead of eight. And we had, like, I noticed myself, Morocco is a land of sports and land of football, especially, of course, just like actually Maghreb countries. But what I noticed is um, in the stadiums, I discovered a new uh, public that came to the games. I noticed families coming, a lot of moms and dads with their girls and, and boys. So, that mean, not only the fan of football, but a lot of families wanted to see what is it to have women play in football and a lot of them start asking clubs how can i register my young daughter uh, because she's now interested because she now wants to be gizlan shebek or rosella ayan or uh, uh, Amani, Selma Amani, etc. So that changed, meaning that by winning hearts and changing minds, even if the slogan comes from a country in a certain place that is not about sport, but still, they're they they were changing the minds just by being themselves and playing. And here I discovered how important media are, because we usually say we don't have sponsors to help, <clears throat> but sponsor won't want media coverage so i believe that i I, as a journalist do have a big responsibility actually to play because when a lot of media came to cover the wafcon we had 45,000 people, spectators coming to the stadium. And I can tell you I was there that at least 45 others were outside the stadium and, and ready to come. And they stayed till the end. And what happened is our team went to the final for the first time of their lives. So today, people know who She's the captain. Do you know Rosella Ayan? A few months ago, they didn't know about them. And now little girls in Morocco and in other African countries can dream of being a a football player, for example, and not saying that football is only for guys. Morocco had the chance for this year to have the both teams, women and men, qualified for the World Cup. This is changing minds. And I do believe that we change minds by advocating, but by being in action as well. And this is something really, really uh, important. And I'll finish just by one thing, is how today, as we've been as women harassed in the streets, who are also harassed in the virtual world today. And this is something we also have to fight against, because otherwise, you will lose your place in the public sphere in the real public sphere, but also in the virtual world. And I do think uh, to to maybe just to pass on to Meher as we're gonna talk about football a little bit more, but I do think that it's time for women to leave the bench and go and and play actually. And this is what they start doing in and in Morocco and Africa, there will be history and we'll be thinks we will be thinking about history of African football before the WAFCON and after the WAFCON.
0: Thank you, Aziza. Thank you very much for respecting the time both speakers. Uh, Maher, over to you.
3: Yeah, it was great listening to, to both Mahfoud and Aziza speaker. Me as a journalist that's covered, you know, African football. It's been it's ever since, you know, Fouzi Laqja, the president of the Moroccan Federation, announced the Marshall Plan on women's football a, a couple of years back. I've seen a, a real difference. Uh, and that's been heartening to see uh, with the amount of uh, time and money spent in women's football. And it, there's a confluence as well, because the Co- Confederation of African Football also launched, uh, you know, it's time, it's now campaign, and uh, they put a lot of money into that as well. So uh, they, they obviously, uh, Aziza, spoke about uh, increasing the capacity of the of the WAFCON tournament to 12 teams, the Women's Champions League has been going on for two years now, and, and that's been uh, a joy to see as well. So uh, a lot of positive news there. I definitely concur with Aziza um i i personally wanted to speak a little bit more about uh <laughs> talk about gendered uh i personally want to speak about more about um men's football and the supporters in the stadium that are watching men's club football uh in Morocco Algeria and Tunisia um and for those of us that uh have been to the stadium uh for club matches in in one of these countries i've, I've been lucky enough to go to club matches in in all three countries um In Algeria, especially, uh, I think it's the, you have a very specific demographic in Tunisia and Morocco as well, but I think to a lesser degree, but in Algeria, especially, we're talking about young adult males. We're talking about 18 to 35. We're not talking about anybody under the age of 18. We're not talking about old men. We're not talking about women. We're not talking about young women, old women, 18 to 35 young adult males going to the stadium. And... uh, it 's been that way for 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 a while but actually I recommend everybody uh read Dr Amara's uh 2012 paper about football and and sub and youth and subculture politics I think for me it was one of the things that really piqued my interest on the subject uh and he examined how in the 1990s really uh the late 80s 90s in in Algeria the the, the stadium really became a place for freedom of expression as you know the the uni party uh, uh unit uni party rule in Algeria sort of fell and uh We saw the opening of a free speech kind of everywhere in Algeria with the privatization of media, television channels and everything, uh, and people started to have open debates. And then very quickly, it closed again. People still wanted to express themselves, and the main way they could express themselves was in the stadium. And they often did it through song. And recently in a chapter that I wrote, I I kind of tried to find why are fans from the Maghreb so musical? And this is something that's actually very, very unique. Uh, it's very rare to see uh, supporters in, let's say, let's take Arsenal in England, rele- for them to release five, six songs per year and for them to adopt those songs and sing them in the terraces that very same year and do the same thing on a yearly basis. But if you look at, you know, uh, fans of Raja Casablanca, fans of Mouloudi Adalje, fans of Esperance de Tunis, Club Africa, this is something that's happening on a yearly basis. They are very musical. And this is when I would lean on a little bit, uh, the work of Yusuf Fetis, uh, another Algerian professor who wrote about the the Moorish cafe, the cafe moh, and the the, the role of the cafe in North African football. And we know that the cafe as well is a very male-dominated space, especially the traditional Moorish cafes. And what he was saying was that, you know, before the, the, the television era, before, you know, people would go to the cafes to even sometimes learn about the scores because there was maybe you know a scoreboard there was maybe a radio and that's how they would follow the teams and but also in these cafes you would have you know shabby artists you know a musical artists you know masters and and that's where really we started to see this this, dinette, this dynamism of you know music and football and and he really for me in my opinion he points at the origin story of the musicality of uh supporters in the maghreb right there, is the Moorish Cafe. And we know how ca- influential it is. Uh, Taraji Tunisi, Esperance de Tunis, is named after Kahwata Taraji, uh, the, the, the Esperance Cafe in Tunis, in dab I believe. Uh, we know that, uh, for example, uh, Perjégo would go to certain cafes in, 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 in Casablanca as well. Um, so we can still go to Etihad uh, Al-Asima, USM of Algiers. We can still go to the cafe where the club was founded. So this is something that I've been really interested in. And historically as well, during the the revolutionary age uh, in Algeria, this was something, you know, uh, in 1945, for example, the Algerian scouts were singing uh, when uh, you had, you know, an indigenous club, indigenous club playing against a a, a settler colonial club, uh, you know, after the the 8th of May massacre in Algeria. So you had people using their words even before the war of independence, uh, expressing themselves politically uh post after independence uh we have uh examples of uh, you know earlier dr mahfoud amara spoke about you know amazigh identity we had for example GS Kabylie supporters a club which supports you know uh the kabyl identity in northeastern algeria uh Going to an Algerian Cup final in which the president Houari Boumediene was there, and they were essentially insulting him in a few different ways to his face, something that they couldn't do obviously outside, but they could do it in the stadium. Uh, we had uh supporters of the Islamic Salvation Front voicing their support in you know various clubs like uh like uh, RC Khlubba, for example, in Algiers. Uh and, and very recently one of the things that I was most interested in was the 2019 anti-government protest in Algeria, the Herak protest, because that was I was living there and that was something that I was experiencing on a weekly basis. And I went and I spoke to the ultras, you know, the, the hardcore Algerian fanatical club groups that were there. Because um at Tahrir Square in, in during the Egyptian revolution. The ultras were the first people to actually fight against the police. They were already organized. They knew how to fight against the police uh, in Turkey as well. In the geziberg protests, that was the case as well. And I was curious to know, is this same phenomenon going to happen in Algeria? And so I actually went to the clubhouse of, for example, Casa Verde, it's called. That's where the Mouloudia of Algeria's ultras are. And they let me in and they spoke to me and they said, we're, we're participating, but we're not par- using the the ultra group. We're not standing behind a banner but we're there individually on an individual basis. So I wonder, well, how else can... Because I see in stadiums, you're very organized, you're very political. The songs that you're releasing are are very political. How is this translating in the protests themselves? And it actually happened through song, again. So we would have songs like everybody knows La Casa del Muradia is the most famous song that ended up coming out of the, the Hirak protest. And it's a song released by an, a supporters group from the USM of Algiers named Ouled al-Bahja, you know, the Sons of Algiers, we can say. And they were uh, singing about the different terms of Abdelaziz, former president Abdelaziz uh presidential uh, term, the first, the second, the third, fourth, and the problems that they perceived in each of the terms. And uh, it was funny because some of the lyrics, you know, uh, the equivalent of I'm sitting here slowly getting high, you know, there's something that maybe you can find in the stadiums, but you had in the protests People of all walks of life, grandmothers, little girls singing these lyrics, which I thought was was quite funny actually. But uh, and, and that's really uh, a, a very important role that football supporters played in this protest was to unify people through song, and but also through tifos, the synchronized you know uh, artwork displays, and, and various other means. So that's I think one of the things that we have to continue. Uh, studying, one of the things I have to continue researching and speaking about because it's something that's very unique is how do uh, it's really a window into a demographic in our societies is the stadium. And what are the words that are coming out of the stadium? How is it affecting the wider society? Because I think in various parts of our histories, they've been very, very uh, influential. And not only, my last point, not only in an isolated way, but also across the region at times. So, for example, Raja Casablanca's song, uh, that was a very popular song in Algeria and Tunisia as well. Uh, Club African song, Yahyatna, also a very popular song in Algeria and Morocco. So these things can travel across the borders as well. Now, leave it there.
0: Mehar, thank you very much uh, for this uh, honest and, and very insightful talk. Uh, same for Aziza and, 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 and Mahfoud. All oh, three covered three different uh aspects of of the sport and and the maghreb at the same time so if i could turn back to our audience and ask uh and open the floor for questions for uh the panelists please otherwise i will be very happy to uh ask a few questions as well okay i will kick off with the first question to, to 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 all of you You covered a lot of how sport is being being used in terms of shaping the societies for political expression, identity expression, especially in the Maghreb and the specificities of of that regions. I have a question, Aziza or or Mahfoud or or Maha. if you look at the gold Middle East winners in the Arab world, you will see that North Africa, mainly Algeria, Tunisia, and, and, and Morocco, mainly Algeria and Morocco, have most of, uh, you know, uh, have most of the medal winners. If you look at them within within females, so you will quickly remember Nawal and Moutawakil, Hasiba Boulmerka, who really went to the gold level. What and at the same time, you know these, you know the females in these countries. They, it's, it's not common, it's not popular, but they managed to reach to the world class and to be part of the elite and to be even better by breaking records, winning. What is, and I can expand as well, uh, Unus Jabber at the moment, the tennis player in Tunisia. She's literally the second or one of the best, or the second best or the best tennis player in the world, you know, in Africa, from an Arab world why this is not the case with much richer countries much more higher demographic in asian countries what's this what's what is the uniqueness about about the north african countries same i can expand why Karim benzema zinedine zidane mbappe you know hakim ziyash those level of players they managed to reach the world class level what is the maghreb has to produce this elite over to you
2: If I may, maybe it just make a difference between uh, Nawal Mutawakil Hasiba bal and Unjabe for example or Mayar Sharif uh, in Egypt even if it's not Maghreb but a lot of a lot of new generation of sportsmen and women now have to shine and rise but outside their countries and sometimes they get the help they need the infrastructure they need outside the country. That's the big difference maybe because Nawal Mutawakil for example was the first woman, not only Arab, not only Maghreb, not only African to win uh, an Olympic gold medal uh, for the uh, 400 stipples in, in uh, LA. But at that time that just show you how, and especially she was a runner and running does not um, ask for a lot of infrastructure. Uh, uh, so we had Balmarqa, of course, we had Nizhabi Bidwan at a certain time as well. And at that time also, Uh, and I speak, for example, for Hassan II, the King of Morocco, late King of Morocco at that time, they wanted at that time, the government, the, the, the country wanted at that time to invest also in women. So it explains actually that it's also about politics. It's also about the countries and how they choose to um work with certain strategies and work now we are also seeing that we're coming back to interest on in women's sports sometimes not for the good reasons yes we do some sports uh, washing for example but still a lot of people now want to invest more in women's sport just to say how open they are even if they're not but i think that in in, in our countries uh actually um it was like one. Nawal Mutawakel made us all dream. I remember Nawal Mutawakel. I was eight when she was running. And by the way, when I uh, created and when I founded Taja, uh, the publishing society and the publishing enterprise for Taja is called 272. And 272 is the number uh, Nawal Mutawakel was wearing on her jersey when she was running. Because for me, even if before I met with her she was an inspiring figure and that was in the 90s 80s 90s and then went down and we're now trying to come back by the end of the 2010 and 2020 so it's it's a kind of fashion sometimes but also mentalities really and at that time we wanted Uh, to have women's sport, and we were competing, the Arab countries were competing against each other, and that's a good thing, if we're competing only in sports, that that could be a good thing, and uh, we had figures like the one you're speaking about, but that disappeared after the 90s, and we didn't really invest money on it at that time and now we're back it's, it's a it's actually a cycle that can be a good cycle or a vicious cycle it depends how we do it but uh, of course women's sports need money and uh, to have the money we need media and media will tell you we need the public but now this is why i'm saying that things are changing after the wafcon because sometimes football when things change in football a lot of other sports follow and what changed here is that we showed that by just covering the event, people are there. We have a public interested in, especially when you're talking a bit about numbers and economy. Now, a lot of sponsors are already on women or, or men's football, for example. So, OK, you don't have that much, that much of space left for other sponsors. So go invest in women's sport because this is this is the future. And and, and the proof is you have my group country going to the uh, World Cup for the first time in Australia and New Zealand.
3: Thank you. Very quickly to touch on that, touch up on that as well, because I've been covering African football for seven years. And I very clearly remember the 2016 WAFCON as well, the Women's African Cup of Nations that was taking place in Cameroon. And for their final, they also had a packed stadium, 60,000, a little bit more than 60,000 people before the match. And when I went to Cameroon in January of this year, I tried to follow up and speak to some journalists there. And they said that, unfortunately, immediately after the WAFCON, things went back completely back to normal. So what I think is great is seeing, again, I think it's it helps that there's a confluence. There's things like the Women's uh, African Champions League as well. Uh, I think they're, they're, they're forcing, you know, senior clubs now to, to have, if you want to participate in the men's Champions League, you need to have a women's team as well. So in Algeria, Shabab Elouzade now has to have a women's team. They, they recently purchased the, the best Algerian women's team, and I think that's going to be a positive thing as well. So I think it's, it's the right time, and I, I do really do see an upward trajectory in Morocco, in particular, yeah. uh, in, in our region.
0: Excuse
3: uh, me, folks,
2: just, if I may just add one thing, is the thing that changed also now is uh, that women champions are becoming also influencers in the social media. And that's very important because they use all the coverage in the media because a lot of thousands of followers and now they're advocating for women's sport themselves.
3: That's exactly okay. right. You don't have to beg uh, a sponsor anymore to, to come and give you some money. Now you can monetize your own brand name, image and likeness.
1: Maybe uh maybe the other reason is now that uh, um countries in the Maghreb they also have want they have an ambition to be uh, visible in the international sports system through you know investment in sports or bidding for uh sports events and Morocco they have been bidding for the FIFA World Cup for five times or six times, you know before Qatar won the bid, so so it has been the tradition from the region to engage. With the international uh, sports system, and therefore, if you want to be visible, you need to adhere to some of the governance, uh, I would say, uh, rules and uh, standards. And one of the standards now that is imposed by the International Olympic Committee and international uh, sports situation is to have, uh, you know, to have equity and equality as part of, and are you know, presented within those maximal uh, 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 sport governing bodies. And uh, even, uh, you know, they, they impose a certain level of representation between, let's uh, say, 25% as a minimum of representation. So uh, countries in the region, uh, in the Maghreb, on the Middle East, if they want to engage with internationally, with international sports system, they don't have, you know, the choice either to, I mean, to adhere to those uh, rules in terms of uh, good governance. Maybe the other uh, reason why sport is very important in in the Maghreb is, as uh, Meher was explaining, you know, it's from the beginning, from the beginning of the existence of the nation state, it was already integrated. You know, Algeria, uh, they had a the national team even before their independence, so sport was part of the fabric, and they continued with that, you know, uh, and they understood. Earlier than maybe countries in the Gulf region, in the Middle East, the importance of using sport for internationalization and for nation state building and branding. Uh, Morocco, they started uh, organizing uh, events, you know, from the early stage of their independence. The same thing for Tunisia, Mediterranean Games. Tunisia, they organized twice the Mediterranean Games. Algeria, after a few years, 1975, they already they 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 went for to organize the, the Mediterranean Games and then the Pan African Games. So there was this uh, you know there was already an awareness by states in the region regions you know in the Maghreb particularly from earlier than maybe in the Middle East about the importance of engaging and investment in sports and then uh we need to consider as well the agency you know because i think we talked we were talking about structures and how states intervene but there's also element of agency uh you know when uh you know, Nawa Mutawakel won the gold medal. She inspired many other girls to be in, in sport. The same thing for, for Barmerka. And the same thing for, you know, for every, uh, um, I would say victory of the national team in football or in handball or this inspired other generations of, uh, youngsters to be, you know, uh, to be successful uh, in sports, not only in the, in the Maghreb, but also within the diaspora. And sometimes, particularly within the diaspora, the only example of success uh, unfortunately, is only associated with sports and, or particularly with football. I mean, mm-hmm. youngsters, you know, within the, uh, the Maghreb diaspora in, uh, in, in in Europe, when they look at uh, examples of success, they only get examples from football, uh, which is, I mean, can be problematic. Uh, As well, But at the same time, I mean, there's a really interesting dynamic, uh, you know, uh, within this diaspora, uh, particularly for girls uh, over there, and that they have to position themselves in relation to their society, you know, uh, uh, where they were born, but also the traditions within their family, and maybe sometimes with the country of origin. So it's uh, really interesting.
3: Sorry, Elias, can I have 30 seconds just on that last point? Because that is what we're seeing in Algeria with the Algerian women's national team, is that like the men's national team, they're starting to heavily rely on the diaspora in France. And I you do see these things happen on social media where these girls are in a certain context in France, and then when they come represent Algeria, I've seen a girl be harassed because of what she was posting on Instagram. They say, wait, you're re- representing Algeria now. This is Algerian girls don't post these kinds of things. So they're often caught in, you know, between two cultures. And that's more of a pre- more pressure on, on women's national team players than it is men's national team players. Nobody talks to Riyad Mahrez when he, you know, uh, is marrying a, a, a tabloid star in, in the UK.
0: So thank you very much. You've touched on, you know, it looks like sport has a diplomatic role to play by promoting the brand of the country internationally no no question about that that's why political authorities are, are interested in sport because it is the brand of the country it looks like sport has also uh, a, a bridge between uh i call them nationalists, you know living within the country and and diaspora or or, or or national community based abroad uh as as you can see so it's it's a hub where well, you know moroccans whether they're born in belgium netherlands france or or morocco spain they get together same thing for 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 algeria it's a, it's what we call it it's an internalization of of the demographic and of around one objective which is winning my question is does it have a causal economic effect so you, you know does you know that my question is clear winning the african cop but what you know what after does it make really the life of better people better winning the mediterranean games winning the you know is there a causal effect on the economic outputs and or is it ephemeral you know feeling where you feel great and then you go back to reality
1: maybe, uh, maybe, maybe go uh, no no go ahead go ahead please please go ahead
0: go ahead go ahead, go ahead
2: Aziza you're
0: muted sorry
2: i wanted to say define making your life better is it only making money because absolutely it is making a lot of women's life better because they can at least believe that football is not only for men and that's something that's something, for example, when we're talking about uh, the WAFCON. But also, uh, we can we can see it because now uh, women will have to and can fight a little bit more for their salaries. For example, let's talk about numbers and money. We're absolutely not earning the same money when you're talking about women's football and men's football. I was talking about Rosella Ayane in the documentary I directed a few months ago, and she was telling me we. When women are playing football it's certainly only for passion of course men are also about passion but they can also have big checks you're not getting big checks for women till now and you know that for example in the us where the women's football team was world champion uh, and they were still fighting to get the same salaries than the men not even more only the same salaries so it is making life better, and we are investing in future. So maybe not bringing a lot of money now, but still, even that, sponsors, for example, are making money now by investing on women's champions, for example. But also, when you can see that a lot of girls can do play football, for example, in clubs now. And uh, clubs will will be, uh, will be have to open uh, female sections, for example. Yes, that will change the life of communities that will definitely impact communities. And by that, making their lives better.
3: Yeah, it's it's a question, to Aziza's point. How do you quantify things like inspiration and hope? I'll give you an example. Sadio Mane maybe watches, you know, as a young boy, the Senegalese national team. He loves them. He trains every day to become a football player. He becomes successful. And now he's built a hospital and a school in his town in Bambali things that the government couldn't do and the, the ministers came down to inaugurate the money that he spent. You know what I'm saying? So, so it's difficult to quantify at times. Um, but that said, um, I believe that we did see a, a little bit of a I need to do a little bit more research on this, but uh, a little bit of a trickle down effect. Um, when at the Algerian national team uh, really came back into prominence between 2006 and 2010 uh, qualifying for two successive world cups And as you saw a little bit of a dynamic with the World Cup, at the same time, there was a convergence in terms of oil and gas prices, foreign reserves, Algeria was in a much healthier economic uh, shape in general, and there was more money in in sponsorships, especially with telecoms. But that's when we started to see uh, a lot more infrastructure being built, uh, even like plans for stadiums being launched finally, stadiums that are just finally being finished right now, 15 years later, but uh, but uh, yeah, things like C.D. Musa, you know, the National Technical, Technical Center where the national team trains. And that was built, you know, in, in, in the early 2010s and finally professionalized uh, a lot of things that I think Mahfoud can speak more to this, that, that we were desperately in need of. And that, that came, I think, off the back of the success of the national team. I will ask
0: a question from the, the men's national team. I will ask a question from Manuel, actually, to Mahfoud. You can expand on this because they are a bit related and Maharaziza you can pick up as well. So Manuel is saying, can you talk about potential of organized fan groups, uh, of being agents for political or social change in the Maghreb in the next uh, few years or decades? I think, Mahar, you touched on it, but can you talk about the efficiency? How efficient is it? You know, how, how managed is it, etc.? So, And then over to you guys.
1: Okay, maybe, uh, just maybe I want to say something about the, you know, the, the economic outcome, uh, from sports. And maybe the question we need to raise is, do we have an economy of sports in the, in the region, in the Maghreb? I think we're still lacking a little bit behind. Maybe Morocco, they then you know Tunisia, they uh, because I mean they don't have the natural resources, they have to think about different sources of you know revenues for the for the country, and they they were maybe a better you know position in terms of integrating sport with tourism. Uh, for example in the and uh, you can see even from Morocco uh some of the I mean the government's invested in some sports like uh, golf and and tennis and maybe that explains why Moroccans were better in you know in tennis at certain time, you know and maybe now Tunisia uh with uh, I think thanks to the infrastructures that are related to leisure and hospitality and uh, and the hotels and resorts, you know, it gave maybe a, a better position for Tunisia and Morocco in, uh, in certain sports than uh, than other sports. But we, do we have an economy of sports when we know that most of the clubs, uh, most of the national teams, they will depend mainly, you know, from funding coming from the government. And the government had to make priorities, of course, and then they will go for maybe a... Uh, uh sports that may you know, mobilize more people and then then most of the money will go to football at the detriment of other sports uh other athletes are maybe suffering you know other sports in terms of uh, balancing between their career as elite athletes with their uh revenues that keeps them you know uh, keep them in you know uh, uh competitive you know uh so yeah the, well, I think we are if we you know we when we see what is happening now in the region in the Gulf region, how they integrated sport with the economy with the business and uh, with investments in internally in terms of mobilizing different sectors and also externally in terms of uh, finding new you know uh, venues for investment i think now the Maghreb is is behind you know if you compare with the with the middle East. Uh, in relation to the question on uh, i think yeah uh, maher is uh, been doing very great you know a uh, really interesting job in uh, in terms of being a journalist but also uh, uh, investigating these issues from internally from inside with the uh, you know with the supporters themselves and the documentaries that he's been uh, producing and uh um, you know, I think it has to do with the politics in, in the region, in the Maghreb, you know, and what are the venues and the spaces for political expression and where people, they can, uh, you know, there have been a wave of democratization that happens, you know, at uh, different stages. And now we have a civil society, of course, which is which is strong. We, I mean, trade union, uh, I mean, the, the Maghreb was kind of advanced on those, you know, and there, there were spaces for uh the you know, political expressions you know in the in institutional uh, terms uh and maybe football and uh sport offered other spaces to the youngsters that maybe they are disenchanted with with the uh, formal politics to 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 you know to express themselves and particularly in relation to their uh, uh maybe uh, mainly with regards to the socioeconomic economic problems uh, at the beginning uh and with all this you know uh, maybe the uh, the issue of harraga you know issue of uh, migration you know trying to you, you know uh find a, a future a better future elsewhere than in the Maghreb there were some moments where they, there was maybe some hope uh in the 80s you know with the, some of the changes that happened and lately with the Arab Spring and the Hiraq that there was some some hope but you know then real politics took over uh and there is this feeling that there is a gap a gap between formal politics and institutional politics, and maybe how the youth, particularly the youth, how they are engaging or you know, you know, uh, uh, in politics. And uh, I think feel that like there is a feeling that is more disengagement rather than engagement. I don't know what uh, uh, my colleagues will, will say about this,
0: Mehar, If you can take this question quickly, I know you have to leave now. Uh, if you have to, you know, if you have uh, some answers, how to address Manuel's question.
3: Yeah, um so it's 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 to what extent are these fan groups organized? They obviously are organized but in an informal way. Um in the sense where they they're self-organized. You know, these are not things that are regulated by governments. These are not things that governments sometimes they don't they, they really what I've experienced is that they don't know what to do with them. On one hand, uh media and governments understand that they can present a really positive image. They're very proud. You know, you can sell your country as a footballing country. Like people criticize Qatar for not being a footballing country. But when you see pictures of the Casablanca derby, when you see, you know, the Tifos in in the Algiers derby, you say, wow, this is a real footballing country. So, so they're very proud of it. And they like to advertise these fan groups on one hand. On other hands, there have been times where, for example, in, in Morocco, uh, where I believe in 2016, where some ultra groups were banned after some violent incidents in the stadiums. And so how do you deal with them? In Egypt, I know we're straying a little bit from the Maghreb, but in Egypt, some ultra groups have been, and they're de facto been treated like terrorist organizations, ultras that we have. And so it's an interesting thing. And to what extent can they produce political change? I think the wider society doesn't know what to do with them, They, they, but they do have their eyes on them and they are influenced by them. I think the main way that they have an influence is actually socially through things like music, uh, there's a new genre of music now called zankawi music, zankawi meaning from, you know, from the neighborhood. And this kind of music, you know, artists like Moh Milano and, and Didin Kanon or whatever, this is the most popular music in Algeria right now. It's supplanted that I it's supplanted a lot of different genres. And this has come from the stadium, zankawi music. So they've they've really had a social impact in not only the music, but also the way they dress. Bucket hats, lacoste, track suits, Nike TNs. These are things that People, they want to, they want to be, they want to act like they are in these groups, they want to dress like them, they want to listen to the same music as them, but they don't really know what to the rest of the society doesn't really know what to do with them. So they're in a weird sort of limbo space. Uh, And to that extent, I don't believe they can bring about, in my opinion, meaningful grassroots political change. But I do think they have a huge social influence. And I'm so sorry, but I, I'm going to have to leave a little five minutes early. But this was amazing. Thank you so much, Haziza and I, ha- I have to you, pick up my nephew F- from school.
1: <laughs> Thank you. Now, maybe Thank I you, just ma- want, yeah, maybe just to follow up what Meher uh, was saying. Maybe I was talking about the formal economy. But there is an informal economy that is, uh, you know, uh, I'll say, uh, becoming very, uh, uh, it's, you know, it's booming, you know, in in terms of the, the skirt, in terms of the... The how say the IPTV, for example, you know how you can find other ways or you know not legal ways to, to access to uh, international uh, primary premium kind of football leagues. Uh, uh, the music genre, genre now that uh, some of those uh, supporters and but uh, they, they form their own groups and uh, the music uh, can have uh, millions of uh, visitors. You know the, the when it's published on on YouTube. So there is an informal economy that is also uh, developing around, you know, around uh, sports and football in particular.
0: Thank you. Uh, one final question uh, from Zulika. Uh, she's saying we've seen some positive performances by African coaches, Regregi, Walid and Kadri, uh, and the Qatar World Cup um uh, what can national federations do to support growth of promising african coaches who may also be interested in pursuing a career in coaching in europe over to you and then we conclude
2: Well, I think for for me that federations have a lot of work to do but not only federations because I think that the private sector also have a responsibility here and uh, just like as we do as a public as I said before uh, but we can, we now know that like here it's football so football is easier comparing to other uh, sports you're talking about volleyball, handball or even even individual sports for example, golfing or whatever but um, I think that federations should really focus today on having and giving uh, at least equal opportunities for women and men uh, when it comes to sports because that can uh, inspire people. Uh, I'm also absolutely 100% okay with what you said, Mahfoud, which is uh, it's a... Also, a shame that the only uh, possibility to make uh, some new generations dream is through sports. I think that sports is important, but it's not, it shouldn't be the only thing that uh, makes you think you maybe become a star and, and earn money only by playing the ball. I think that it's very important and we need that, but we also need other things, uh, in my opinion. But still, the federations do have now it's um, a responsibility to educate also uh, uh, young uh, generations. And we have, like in Morocco here, sports schools. Uh, and now we invest, actually, to help women and men and girls and boys uh, play, for example, football or or other other sports, but also without a drop in school, which is important thing because a lot of a lot of children do drop school to play football and have a certain time to choose between uh, earning the money and living and playing professionally and now can uh, start doing both and this is where federations can work but again and again it's not only federations or the governments i think that the private sector has a lot of money to make out of it they are making uh, money out of it but it's time to reinvest a little bit
0: thank you aziza I'm
1: sorry. Uh, yeah, I think it's uh, o- o- about uh, elite sports system and elite strategy in terms of uh, making sure that uh, you have, uh, a, you know, strong grassroots, you know, for uh, a young athletes to come, you know, from the, you know, and to to in- integrate, you know, the national teams that are, you know, local is important to also uh, integrate other. Uh, you know, players uh, from you know uh, from the region, but uh, living in Europe. But you need to find the strike the right balance between local, homegrown athletes with uh, those professional athletes. And the same thing is to do the uh, same thing for 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 coaches and for national coaches. And uh, there has to be a really strategy to help them to move to that kind of a level of uh, that they can lead a, a national team and to believe in national capacity and national. Uh, uh, you know, now, you know, they, there is a knowledge, you know, in the region and uh people are, they have the knowledge, they have the experience, they need to be trusted. Uh, and maybe uh, we need to move on from this uh, complex, uh, complex uh, of inferiority. Uh, and we have seen it now with Qatar, you know, Qatar is hosting, you know, the FIFA World Cup, you know, the biggest uh, uh, maybe sports uh, festival after uh, or events after the Olympics, and uh, is showing to the rest of the world that they have the capability and the, they have, you know, the strategy to do it. And we need to show the same thing in our region that we can, you know, uh, we need to believe in our national uh, capability and competence. We have people, you know, like Aziza in the, in the doing great job you know, in the media. We have another, you know, Maher, you know, as a young uh, journalist, is doing great job. So we need to celebrate a little bit more. Uh, our uh, kind of uh, success internally
0: thank you very much to both of you and to to Meher as well uh it's been it's been a pleasure listening to 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 all of you i think there is a lot of takeaway from 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 today's session uh you know it's you know sport i think football or sport in general i think it's big the, the world dream from what i heard came quite a lot uh you know closing the gaps bringing people together that's what we have seen whether between gender with between localities you are here or 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 in another regions and you sharing the same values whether to express yourself as 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 maher said earlier it could be a hope where people do express themselves you know to answer why people do speak out in the stadium because you have a numbers and it keeps anonymity people, because people remain anonymous that's probably one of the reasons and as you said is also it's an opportunity to prove what you can do as as Qatar is doing as also what Morocco is doing what Algeria did in 2014 what Morocco did in 86 and i am pretty sure that's the moroccan team this 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 time will will prove to the world and that's what i'm really fascinated by the migrant countries because they can play or perform at the very world-class top, right? So Belgium was number two in the world. Croatia is the finalist of the world. And Morocco dominated Belgium. It's not, it's not like a chance. Like, I, I, you know, I love football. I watch football. It wasn't like, you know, Belgium couldn't breathe in front of the Moroccan team in terms of coaching, in terms of speed, in terms of techniques. And the world witnessed that. So it's not... Uh, you know a surprise or a miracle and i think we will see more of that i mean we've seen the you know the COD team how they won the best player in the world and how they dominated Argentina and there is also we haven't talked much about the Middle East so i think it's you know let's end up on this dream but also that political authorities should take opportunities by as you rightly said Aziza and Mafol by investing I think for myself, the missing point, as you said, for the Magra, there is no monetization of this sport success because there is no ecosystem, there is no sport economy. So if, if you take the public budget, if the government doesn't spend money, you know, can you make money out of your championship to pay back an infrastructure of 500 million euros? Can Qatar today pay back those stadiums with only organizing with a local championship? So, that, that is the big question to answer where the money will come from. So, will the money come from, from your poor people that are in the region, or will the money come from, from abroad, or will the money come from the public budget? These are the problems to solve for the political responsible, you know. And I think, you know, that's uh, I will end up on, on, on this. And once again, thank you very, very much for, 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 for being with us from from uh, from Morocco, Aziza, and from Tata, Mahfoud, and from France, Mahar and, and us being here in London. So, thank uh, and thanks for the audience thank you. who have asked the questions and attended and have been very patient with us for the last hour. See you soon. See
1: you all.